Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the USMLE Guys podcast. My name is Dr. Paul. In today's episode, we are doing another USMLE Coaches Corner episode. This is something we previously recorded from our YouTube channel, and I wanted to share with you here today. We will be talking about one of the common problems that our one-on-one coaching students are experiencing, sharing with you what's going on and how to fix it so that you can move forward with your own USMLE preparation without any worries. And if you want to work with us one-on-one or you want to learn more about how we can help you prep for your USMLE exams, don't forget to visit our website, usmleguys.com. All right, let's dive in with today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the USMLE Coaches Corner. My name is Dr. Paul. I am here with Dr. Stavros. Hey and today we are going over something really important, which is how to position yourself. Well, let me just turn my phone down. How to position yourself for a successful residency match, meaning how do we do the things that we need to do in order to position ourselves for success. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to give you 10 hypothetical questions slash scenarios that students often ask us. And we will take those and sort of answer them as though they were coming from our audience, which a lot of these have. And then we will give you the tips based on those. So if you guys have any questions, if you're watching this live, go ahead and drop those in the live chat. If you have any questions after you've watched this whole thing on the replay, feel free to leave us questions in the comment section and we will get to those as well when we can. All right. Perfect. Well, let's dive in. So the first scenario is, how do we make sure that our application contains everything you need to be competitive? So a student will often say, what should I do to make sure that I'm as competitive as possible? What is your answer to this question? I mean, we have to start as early as possible. We have LORs, we have resume, and you have personal statements. Now, the LORs are really key because a lot of students are in rotations yep. and they either don't ask the doctor right away or they wait a little later and then next thing you know they expect the doctor to respond to them by the time match season begins but everyone's very busy right so the lors are key and huge then you have your resume and you have a personal statement as we know we'll talk a little later about it doesn't happen overnight you just don't you know snap your fingers and, and complete it so why not start as early as possible so if you're matching this year you should have started already it's already june 23rd right why not start earlier to have multiple uh, opportunities to look at it multiple drafts, take your time, put it down, come back to it later. So it's not the last minute rush. Oh, let me, let me get it in. Cause at that point you make a mistake and this is your future. You don't have a second chance. Well, you do, yeah. you don't actually apply the following year, but why risk it? Right. Yeah. So start early, soon as possible. Yeah. I would even say, you know, when you start medical school, start to think of the things that you might <clears throat> want to do and start looking into what it's going to take to actually get there. So for example, if sure. someone wants to get into something competitive, Let's say they're a Caribbean student and they, they know, like a lot of students, I want to do something competitive. Maybe it's surgery, maybe it's dermatology, maybe it's plastic surgery. You know, you aren't going to be severely punished based on where you went to school. You will be, though, severely punished based on how poor your personal statement, your LORs, your, your clinical experience are. And you can overcome all of those things by A, knowing exactly what it takes to position mm-hmm. yourself well and then b doing the things early like you said start as early as you can doing those things early to put yourself in a position where you've accumulated all these wins and all these things that are going to look really good on your resume 
because like you said, and I know so many students can relate to this. Hey, I'm in my fourth year. I need to start thinking about residency applications. Let's start thinking about it. And if you are, like you said, it's mid-June right now. If you're just starting to think about your personal statement, your LORs and all that, and you don't even have the things that are going to make you highly competitive, mm-hmm. you know, checked off your, your to-do list, you're in a lot of trouble. <clears throat> so the earlier you can start to really accumulate these wins, the better it's going to be for you long-term. I, I would say it doesn't matter where you are in the journey, start now. Hopefully yeah. you're watching this in first year. But if you're not, regardless, start now. At least start knowing what is expected of you so you can be competitive. It's very simple. It's a yeah, lot of work, exactly. but it's simple. Just give yourself enough time to really fix everything, right? That's the whole point. You don't want to do it last Absolutely. You need, you, you need time to – you need different iterations. Like you said, your personal statement, you can't sit down, draft it over the weekend, and say, this is my best work. Done. Impossible. <laughs> no author sits down and writes the book and says – I'm done. No, it goes through multiple drafts, multiple edits. That you need to think the same way when it comes to your your residency documents, your personal statements, your LORs. Yeah. And a lot of you, your 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 attendings are going to ask you to write them. We'll talk about that shortly. But you need to be able to, to to put together really good documents that set yourself apart, that stand out, that aren't generic. And so, the earlier you start, the more time you have to improve. Exactly, love it. All right, let's move on. So goal number two is how do we get our dream program to ask to ask you to apply to their program? So how do you get your dream program to ask you to apply? <clears throat> so basically, <clears throat> the way this starts is let's say you want to go, <clears throat> excuse me, got a little bit of a cold here. Let's say you want your dream is to go do dermatology at Harvard. Let's just say, mm. obviously, mm. That's not going to be something a lot of people could accomplish, but let's just say. So how do we get our dream program to ask us to apply? Well, A, you figure out where your dream program is. B, you figure out a way to get yourself into a rotation there. That's step one and two. You have to get there. And then step three is you have to make yourself so invaluable that when you are on your last day and you're saying goodbye to everybody, they're going to feel that you'll be missed. They're going to feel... Like we're losing a really valuable part of our team here. Of course. When you do this correctly, what happens is, and I've seen this happen over and over. So I'm not just, you know, pulling this out of a left field here. If you do this right, they're going to say to you, when you apply, because you're also going to make it very clear to them throughout your four weeks that this is where you want to be. When Mm -hmm. you are done and everyone is saying goodbye to you, the people who matter, your attendings, your residents, the people who can actually pull strings. They're going to say to you, you know, let us know when you apply. And what you're going to do is you're going to apply and then you're going to have their personal info. You're going to text them, call them, do whatever. You're going to reach out to them and they're going to put in that good word for you. And that is how you do that. Steps one, two, and three. Very simple. Obviously, like I said, if you want to get into somewhere crazy, it's going to be challenging. But if you follow that strategy for the most part, it will work for you. But it's a lot of work, but it's really worth it if you can pull it off. I mean, think of it this way. When you're in a regular rotation and you're working there six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, however long the rotation was, four weeks, and you see the attendings, you work with attendings, residents, staff, nurses, and you see patients, you talk about patients, you discuss patients, you go to M&Ms, you go to different meetings, they get to see you. They get to see you in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. 
They get to see how amazing you are, how dedicated you are to medicine, how valuable you are to the system, how you talk to patients, bedside manner. So that's a living, breathing resume right there. So mm -hmm. you might not think they're seeing you, but they observe it all. So then they go, you know what? This guy here, this girl here has been here every day, seven days a week for X amount of weeks. I've seen them work. I've seen them under pressure. I've seen them connecting the dots with differentials. So, okay, the scores might not be as high, let's say, or maybe they are very high, which is great, but we know they know the system. We know they know the computer system, the patients, the staff. So we'll give them a chance, AKA sub-I, if you get a sub-I somewhere or observership or something like that, versus somebody who scores you know, really great and there's hundreds of applications with the same score. This individual, you, were at this hospital working with me and Dr. Paul, so to speak, and there it is. See, it's, it's getting in front of people because it's a job, guys. You're applying for a position somewhere. You're not entitled to anything. A lot of people out there fighting for what, what they want. You gotta do it. You gotta get in front of the, on stage, so to speak. Show them who's boss. Show them what you yeah. can provide, the value to the program. I mean, the, the easiest way to prove to people what you can do is proximity. Like, get close yeah. to people and show them what you're made of, right? It. It's, it's like anything in life. Like, if you want to learn from people <clears throat> who are the best of the best, go mm -hmm. to their classes, right? If you got, that's why some teachers in some schools are just super popular because they're the best of the best. People want to be there. Yep. If you wanted to, let's say, get mentored by that teacher, you go to class, you sit in the front, you always raise your hand, you do the things that you need to do to be, to put, make yourself, you know, known to the people who can really make the decisions. Now, I know a lot of people out there, a lot of doctors like, well, that seems hard. That seems difficult. That's not me. But at the end of the day, guys, ladies and gentlemen, you're applying for a very difficult spot. The spots are mm -hmm. limited. So mm -hmm. if everybody has similar scores, similar publications and all that stuff, how are you going to shine? And if you want it that bad, you're competing with the best of the best to get a spot that's very competitive. So when you say, well, I don't know, that means you don't want it. Well, I'm not sure if I can do it. That means you don't want it. Because if you tell me no, I'm going to say, yes, I'll do whatever I can to get into the system. It's simple as that. It's just, are you dedicated enough to sacrifice morning, afternoon, evening, maybe less sleep, maybe weekends? If you're not ready to sacrifice, it's okay. The guy next to you, the girl next to you will sacrifice and get the position you'll be waiting to reapply next year. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's the harsh reality, right? It's it's a competitive tough love, tough love. it's a competitive landscape out there, and you need yeah. to be willing to go above and beyond and get uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, you know, like there's that saying, "Everything you ever wanted is on the other side of your comfort zone," or something along those lines. It's true. Same thing here. Is it fun to sit on the phone for twelve hours a day, calling literally every program in the greater uh, tri-state area to get a rotation? Well, no, obviously not. But one day of work could get you a four-week rotation, and that could turn into a residency, mm -hmm. and that could turn into a thriving career. So you have to look at this whole, you know, some people aren't willing to take a little bit of pain for a massive payoff. And until you're willing to look at a situation and say, how much work am I going to put into this particular thing, and what is my payoff? Obviously, you're not going to do something if there's no payoff, but if you think if I just do this one thing and then I have a lifetime of payoff, why wouldn't you do it? You guys need to start thinking about a return on your investment, a return on your time. And that yeah. will start to, that will help you make better decisions when it comes to these things. Because yeah, it might not be fun to have to, you know, uh, live in a cramped apartment in uh, New York City to do a rotation at a hospital that, you know, is one of the best in the country. You know, maybe that's not your ideal situation. But if that opens doors that can, create a blossoming career for you, 
you have to think of the payoff guys and same thing, you know, work hard, do the things that other students are willing to do. And a lot of students are going to say, I can't do that. I don't live in the U S it's not, it doesn't work. I've tried. That's fine. Keep trying because this stuff is not easy, right? Yeah, Otherwise yeah. everyone would just sit on the phone for a day and do it. Are you willing to sit on the phone for two days, three days, four days, a week, a month? Because eventually the more doors you knock on, the higher sure. the chances that someone eventually will answer. There's sure. no way you can keep going and going and going and eventually you don't get a break, but you have to be willing to keep going. That's really the big, the big takeaway. Yeah. Never give up. That's what it comes down to. You know, you doors close, open up new ones. All right. So earlier I mentioned, you know, your school isn't going to be the limiting factor in the types of residency you can get. But if you want to be someone who has no limiting factors, you want to know what you can do to guarantee that you're in the top 1% of all residency applicants. So let's say, hypothetically, I went to a Caribbean school, you went to Princeton. Obviously, mm -hmm. just on paper, you have an advantage. But let's say you failed your step one once. I didn't. Let's say you got a 215 on your CK. I got a 260. Let's say you did all your rotations at a hospital that was right down the street from where you grew up. So you didn't have mm -hmm. to, you know, um, really go out of your comfort zone. I flew around to every one of the best hospitals in the country to get the best rotations. I got outstanding LORs. I did a sub I, you didn't. Your LORs are generic, mine aren't. Now on paper, yes, you went to a better school, but who put in the work? who put in the dedication, who is disciplined to check off all those boxes. All of a sudden, if I'm looking at two people side by side, yeah. I'm not necessarily going to take Princeton over the Caribbean student who on paper is kicking your butt. So something you guys all need to understand is that there's a way for you to overcome the school you went to. And the way you do that is figure out what the best students have on their resumes who have gotten in and then go above and beyond that. And we talk about this, I feel like, every week. And I'm going to say it again here, <laughs> aamc.org. They will show you students who matched into, let's say, surgery, the lowest 10th percentile, middle of the road, the highest 90th percentile. What sort of scores did they get? How many rotations? What extracurriculars? How much research? This is objective information that you can find. And like we said earlier, if you start early and you find this information, you can figure out what it takes to be a competitive uh, plastic surgery resident. And then mm -hmm. you can start checking these things off. And just because you went to a fantastic US-based school doesn't mean that you have access to um, you know, things that I might not have access to. Like Just because you went to a school in Boston doesn't mean that when I come back to the US, I can't get great rotations in these same specialties as well. Sure, sure. And so you really have to figure out what students are doing who have matched, and then I would say go above and beyond. So if you've got the 90th, top 90th percentile who did X, Y, and Z, do X, Y, and Z plus one or plus two. Just make your application so impressive that you can't be ignored. The, the old saying is be so good that they can't ignore you. And like I said, if you are so good on paper and you went to you know, Windsor in St. Kitts, but you crushed everything. You are so well positioned. You've done the work. You've done the rotations. You've got LORs from good plastic surgeons or whatever it may be. Why wouldn't I give you a shot? There's no rule that says Caribbean students can't be plastic surgeons mm -hmm. or dermatologists. In fact, this past year and the year before that and the year before that, 
some Caribbean students, international IMGs, FMGs, matched into all of these specialties. The thing yeah. is, what we're telling you to do here, most students aren't willing to do. And no. even worse, most students don't know that these are things that they can do. And I think that's the upsetting part for me is that students just go with the flow, listen to the baloney they hear at their school, like, oh, you're a Caribbean student, so you have to settle for family or internal. And they don't even get a shot. And we want to give yeah. you guys a shot to get into sure. your dream, not just settle for something in medicine because they're all very different jobs. Well, it's, it's also not to limit yourself because, you know, you, you kind of flag yourself or label yourself as maybe a person that, that shouldn't be competitive because you went to a certain school and then no one around you is going to tell you something differ, different. So then instead of actually going to become limitless and shoot for the stars, so to speak, you're like, well, I'm already from a certain school, so I should just knock this out and I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Well, try it out. If you have multiple attempts, different story, then there's a roadblock. But why put a roadblock up if you haven't even started yet? You yeah. know, we've experienced that to ourselves as students. You're always like, oh, I went to one school. Work hard, separate yourself from other individuals. Google, we always give you guys links and always give you guys the best advice to go to certain websites and research it or have us do it with you for you. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, if any of you guys are watching this and, you know, you are, you sort of fall under that umbrella of I'm an FMG IMG Someone in my school or a colleague has told me, hey, you know, if you want to go to the US, you have to settle for primary care. Understand that I don't know where this idea comes from, except for the fact yeah. that it's one of those just generally accepted things. And when there's just a generally accepted rule, people sent, tend to just default into that rule. And then it just, <clears throat> it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. But honestly, the students that I, uh, not students, the friends that I went to med school with who were, you know, really hardworking students and had their, their, their sights set on big things, most of them got into competitive specialties like ortho, uh, general surgery, um, anesthesia, like whatever it may be. And that's from a Caribbean school. But you really need to be willing to go the extra mile and, and, yeah. and do the work. But it's, I really wish that the... Um, <clears throat> I really wish that this, I don't even know how to say it, but the knowledge, the, the, what students are told at these schools, I wish that that would change. And it's been really hard for us to, to penetrate and change the mentality. Yeah. But what I was getting to earlier is if you're watching this and you fall under this umbrella, tell your friends to come and watch this episode or any of our episodes. Sure. Cause we, we want to equip you guys with the, not only the knowledge but the understanding that you don't have to settle for primary care if you don't want to. If you want to, that's great. But we don't want people to settle for being a family doctor when your entire dream is to be an orthopedic surgeon because these are apples and oranges careers. It's like, sure. you know, you want to be a plumber or you want to be an electrician. Well, one person deals with electricity, one deals with plumbing. Their trades... They're both trades, but they're completely different. And so you have to understand that just because you're in medicine doesn't mean you're going to be happy. And if you're doing something you're unhappy with, yeah. I'll tell you guys, money is not going to make you happy. And you don't make that much money in medicine anyway, if you compare it to things like business or business opportunities you could get as a doctor. So just go for something that you want to get into. And if it's something challenging, have the grit to say, screw what everyone's telling me. I'm going to listen to the USMLE guys and I'm going to actually do the things I need to do to get there. 
I realize that many many doctors we've talked to in the past couple of weeks and months, you know, they talk to their seniors, people from their home country, and they go, well, I didn't make it. So you can't make it either. You know, and many listen, they go, well, if these people are smarter than me and they tried and they worked really hard and they can't make it, then they ask me, Dr. Stavros, can I make it? I'm like, well, how can I tell you no? I don't know their scores. You don't know if they're telling the truth. You don't know if they have really good foundation. You don't know if their personal statement was weak. Their CV was poor. Maybe their their clinical skills or their 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 uh, interview skills are really really poor too. They might have 10, 15 in interviews and they didn't match. Maybe it was the interview skill, right? So there's many components involved. So if you want to get there, don't listen to other people. Do it yourself. Try. And if you can't make a different story, but don't set yourself not to pass because others have tried and they didn't uh, they and they didn't and they failed. I mean, attempt at least, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. And one thing you just mentioned, you know, um, you, you don't know how someone's going to interview. You don't know how they're going to do this or that. Mm-hmm. A little bit later on today, we're going to share something with you guys. We're, we're opening a residency coaching program where we're going to train students <clears throat> to really crush interviews, help them with yep. personal statements, LORs, CVs. We'll give you guys a link to that later. It's very limited because we're going to deal with everybody very, very hands-on. But we'll give sure. you guys a link to that later if you guys really want to step up your game when it comes to residency. We'll talk about that shortly. Awesome. Let's move on though. So next up is the question of how do I build a roster of people vouching for me inside of their program? This is this is something that nobody thinks of. And this is something we've been talking about for a couple of years. And yeah, one of the big things that schools will tell you, right, is stay off of social media. It's stay bad. It. Social media can be a huge waster, a time suck, but it's also one of the most powerful tools. Instantly, we are able to reach out to literally anybody in the world who has an account. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, we could not have done this. But now anybody can start a show, can start a radio (laughs) show. You can do anything you want. You just have to be willing to do it. And this is where social media is powerful. Now, I always recommend students use Instagram for this, and I'll tell you why. Instagram... If you look at platforms as far as what they can do for you as a tool, YouTube's great to build. Uh, if you're trying to build a business or, or, or be an entertainer, it's great to, for brand awareness. But you're, there's not a real quick way to communicate with people. Twitter's good because you can type out your thoughts, but there's no pictures, there's no videos. It's not one of those things where there's a lot of back and forth privately. TikTok, pure entertainment. I've never even had someone reach out on TikTok to us. So I wouldn't go there. Instagram is the sweet spot. People share their lives, but you can also DM someone quickly. This is where this is powerful. Imagine this. You have a platform where you can tell the world that you want to be a dermatologist. Right now you're a med student, but you're a budding dermatologist. So what you do is you reach out to every single dermatology resident attending whatever that you can find on Instagram. Every single US state, I don't care where it is. You reach out to everybody. And I'm not saying spam them, but you just network. Network with them. Comment on their videos, their posts. Build rapport. Build a back and forth relationship. Slowly but surely, you make friends with people. Now imagine this. I have been for the last 52 weeks doing two hours of this every single day. Now it's time for me to apply for residency. I'm going to apply for dermatology. And I'm going to apply to every single Durham program in the country because it's competitive. What I'm going to do, though, is once I apply, I'm going to reach out to all of my friends that I have been nurturing those relationships over the last year. 
I'm going to say, hey, I just applied to your program. Be cool if you could give me, you know, a uh, put in a good word for me. But I don't care if it's Derm or if it's family or if it's peds or psych, whatever. You can do this for every single specialty. And what you're basically doing here is you're creating a network of people who you will prove to them that you're passionate about the field. And when you go to apply, guess what? You have friends that you can reach out to. I have people on Instagram, so do you. I've never met in person, but I've talked with through text, through FaceTime, through video chat, through podcasting, whatever it may be. And I could, if I was going, I have a friend who just wrote a book, lives in uh, Indiana. Never met him face to face, but if I was there, I know I could call him up. He'd probably ask me to stay at his place. We'd hang out. Same thing. There's someone in Philadelphia. There's people in Florida. There's people in California. There's people in Seattle. Everywhere. I've never met these people, but I guarantee gotcha. you they would do a favor for me because sure. I've nurtured relationships. And you guys can do this if you're willing to put in a little bit of time every day. And it is so powerful because imagine it's me and Dr. Stavros. We're both applying. I apply to all the programs he does, but I have a friend at every program. Maybe these friends don't have that much pull, but at least I have the opportunity to ask them, right? Big difference. Yeah, Huge yeah. difference. And this is, again, a numbers game. If I have one or two people, you know, everybody sort of has someone they know at some program. It doesn't usually yield benefits because it's a numbers game. Some people don't have pull. Some people have a lot of pull. So the more people in your network that you can build, the more opportunities you're going to have. It's the same thing of knocking on more doors to get those clinicals. It's a numbers yeah. game. And it, trust me, if you guys do this, even 15 minutes, reach out to two people a day and just network with them. Over time, you're going to build a beautiful network of people who, if you do it right, will be more than willing to just you know, put in a good word for you. You're not asking them to donate a kidney. You're just saying, hey, I applied your program. If you're, if you're cool with it, I'd love for you to you know, throw my name into the uh, mix and see what happens. It's amazing, guys. You know, people love connections. People reach out to us all the time. Can you connect me here, there, there? But the difficult thing is you have to create those connections, right? You have to create those relationships, those friendships, like a friendship. Friendship is a two, two-way street. So obviously you have to put time into it. You reach out to us and other people. Oh, can you connect me? Well, yeah, I can, but they don't know who you are. You know, they're our friends. We put the time and the effort into connecting with them, talking to them, texting them. Not because we just want something out of them. Actually, a true friendship. Because, yeah. hey, by the way, guys, if you want to go to that hospital, wouldn't you want to know what's, what's up with that hospital? Wouldn't you want to have to have a friend to tell you, hey, by the way, look out, this program is great. Or it looks great, but from the inside, it's not as strong as you think it is. So many, many factors involved yep. and you can profit many ways. That's why you have to put the work into it. If you don't want to, then you won't. I mean, it's, you have to put the work into it. You know, my whole life, and everybody's heard this, it's who you know, not what you know. Now, I'm a big proponent of, of <laughs> you have to come from every angle. You have to be impressive, but you also sure. have to know people because that just helps you out. If you don't have the scores, you don't have anything going for you, no one's going to be able to help you because at the end of the day, they're going to see your resume and be like, are you kidding me? This guy's a joke. But if you're impressive and you have people that can put in a good word for you, that's where the magic happens. So guys, don't just think of networking as this thing you got to get to. Start networking now. And honestly, if you guys want to just practice, reach out to me and Dr. Stavros on Instagram, at Real Dr. Paul, at Real Dr. Stavros. Yep. Just reach Simple. out to us and start networking with us. If you do a good job, It'll work. Now, if yeah. you reach out and say, hey, can you help me? 
it won't give me give me give me you have to go to it <laughs> you have to go to it thinking i want to build a friendship and i want to yeah. just network you don't you can't go out with asking for things go out you know offering like a student uh recently reached out to me this is actually a really good example a student on instagram reached out and said hey i love your channel i see you put out a lot of content if there's anything i can do to um add to your channel like for example That's create nice. something let That's me awesome. know now cool. i said thanks you know no i'm not interested but I said, I appreciate that. And now, you know, it's a connection. And that's all you got to do. Something along those lines. Don't just do that, but go and, and offer something to people. And it will it will yield benefits. Add value. I mean, Add that right value. there, he's on your radar, right? Because the average person goes, hey, doc, help me. Right in a Loire, connect with somebody. I've heard thousands of that on a weekly basis, you know. So that's what it comes down to. Yeah. All right. Next all up, right. how to write a personal statement so good Ooh. that they won't want to stop reading when you write when 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 someone picks up your personal statement your goal should be it is so good that there'll be literally no way they could possibly put it down doc give us a few <laughs> tips that we how we can make this happen well you got to start early you got to yes. be unique you got to think outside the box you know and like you said before when the reader the, the program director the attendings the residents whoever's reading it they want to see this piece of content and say wow it's so different and so special that they don't want to put it down like you just said they want to meet you they want to talk to you and they want you in their program remember you're applying for a position you want them to picture you dr so-and-so working side by side breaking bread with them in the evening spending valuable time on the weekends you know events with everybody all the residents and if your personal statement doesn't say say something like that, then I'm sorry, doc, it's gonna go to the pile like the other ones. Generic stuff. I wanna be a doctor because I wanna save people, I love people, I wanna save lives. Great, I sacrifice. So I'm a hard worker, we all are. What else, what else do you have? That's why you have to take this into, into thoughts when you put in the information down. Build it over time, not just sitting by the computer, but just really thinking about what you want them to know about yourself. You have one piece of document, one piece of paper, a bridge for them to connect to know who you are besides what's on your resume, right? Your scores, your resume, your CV, and your LORs. Personal statement is, is, is a gift. Take it serious. Many people don't. They just write something and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Trash it away. Something I mentioned earlier was our residency coaching. If you want to mm -hmm. learn how to write a personal statement that is outside the box, unique, so good that they won't be able to put it down, that is part of our residency coaching. If anybody's interested, you can go to usassemblyguys.com slash RRMP. I'll leave that on the on the, um, on the the uh, page here for a couple minutes so you can ch check that out, write it down. But, you know, just like you said, it's got to be so good that A, they just don't want to put it down. Like, you know, if you've ever read a short story or a book and it's just so good that you you need to keep reading, just like a good show where you want to turn it off, but you can't. You can get to that point. It just, like you said, it takes time. You're not going to put something together over a weekend, especially if you're not a writer. <laughs> it's going to be that good. But you can, over time, build something that good. And remember, it's just one page. And that is something that's completely doable. You just have to think outside the box. Also, here's the thing. If you're going to put together a personal statement that is really, really good, you have to have things on your resume, meaning your life experiences, that actually warrant someone saying, wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. 
If you're just a boring old person who goes to class, goes home, watches TV, studies, go to bed, and you don't actually do anything amazing with your life or do anything additional to add value to your community, the medical community, wherever you're from, I don't care. Um, if you're not doing things that are really, really cool, you're not going to be able to put those very cool things on your on your personal statement. And then you're kind of stuck because you don't want to lie. But again, if you embellish something that's not all that impressive, it just looks a little weird. So think about it that way. What are some things that you could do that you know no one else is going to do? Now, I'll give you an example. I know someone who in Chicago, um, on the south side, where if you're from Chicago or you've been there, you know the south side is, is a very, very poor community. Um, I know someone who was involved in planting rooftop gardens. So any nice. building that was basically just a bare roof where nothing was happening, they went and planted um, vegetables, um, any kind of food that could possibly grow you know, over the, the spring and summer months, and then mm -hmm. use that to feed the community of nice. poor individuals. That is not something most people are doing. And that is a really good outside the box sort of idea that you could put on your resume. And, and if you can start your personal statement and quickly build into your experience doing this on the South side, feeding the poor, you know, using dead space to grow things from nothing. It, it's, it's really a, a noble thing to do in my mind. And that's something that if you could take that and spin it in a, a nice way on a personal statement, I'm going to keep reading. And not only am I going to say that's impressive, I'm going to say that's the type of outside the box thinking, ingenuity, and and hardworking person that I don't see why we wouldn't want to at least interview <laughs> for our program because we want people like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of it this way: reverse it. You're the one reading multiple personal statements, right? A couple yeah. dozen, a couple of hundred. If they all look very similar, it's fair. We all have a similar goal to be an md with similar stories similar family backgrounds but the person that stands out is a per is, is a story that you can remember right whether it be this or that like we have a lot of doctors where, when we when we help them write their personal statements or created the different drafts we have to sit down and figure out okay what do we keep what don't we keep right more the more people working on it the better it is and that's why it's amazing because we see the final draft we're like wow that's pretty nice and that that stands out and makes you look like you're the candidate they want to work with. How many people, even if they have impressive things that they've done, give us our their first draft and it would be an impressive first draft for a program? Not many. I mean, it's usually it's it's very rare. You know, maybe, almost yeah. almost never, right? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, in multiple drafts, three to five, maybe more. A lot even more the best of the best students, the people who are honestly probably more impressive than we are, who could be teaching us. Um, you know, because we have a whole team here. We have a group of people here Yeah, go through it. And that's what you want, right? And even the best of the best can use some help. So I don't care if you're not working with us. If you're writing a personal statement, don't just look at it yourself. Get people who are going to be critical of you to look at it and give you some constructive criticism. Because if you really want to impress, you're going to have to impress people who are tough to impress. And you should find people in your life to do that. And if you don't have those people... Use that link on the web on the um, on your screen, and uh, we can help you.
Yeah, that document's really big. I mean, people don't realize how, how heavy that is when it comes oh, down to it. People yet. just don't take it serious. So they're saying, oh, you're fine. They look at it, they look at it very, very, you know, it's very important. So be careful. Be Absolutely. All right. So how to write great letters of recommendation for yourself. So believe it or not, this is not a misprint. <laughs> this is not something that we really ever talk about because we try to push our students really, really hard to not write your own LORs, but we have students in our roadmap uh, residency roadmap coaching program right now who have said, I met with someone the other day. He's like, I tried my best. Everyone just wants me to write my own. So this is something we need to talk about. Yeah. So how do we write good LORs? Well, there's a few things you want to do. Let me just give my two cents and I'll let you jump in here. First sure, and foremost, use, use Google. I mean, <laughs> go to Google for everything. Personal statements, LORs. Look for samples and see what you read that looks good and ask yourself, what is it about these personal statements or these LORs that A, make it good, but B, make it good in a way that's not obviously written by me? Because you don't want it to be like, Paul was the greatest student I've ever had. I swear to God, this guy changed my life. Like, it, it can't be silly like that. But at the That's same the time, best. like the student that I was talking to, you don't want to be so, so toned down that it's a little dull. And so it's a really, <clears throat> it's a really fine line you need to toe. And so one of the things I recommend is, and I, I tell students, whether you're going to write your LOR or you're going to get someone else to, or someone else is going to write it for you, um, before you start a rotation, you want to ask yourself this, what are the big characteristics about me that I want these people to see about me? So I want to obviously be known as a hard worker, someone who goes above and beyond, someone who is the first to volunteer myself to do something. Sure, I basically sure. want to be the stud of that. That was, that was me in rotations. And before I even started every rotation, I said to myself, this is what I want to come through. And so I would just do things that reflected what I wanted. So whether you are writing your own LOR or not, if you do these things and you go into each rotation knowing what you want to show, if you write an LOR that reflects those things and then you have someone sign it, at least then you know that it's A, accurate and B, realistic. And obviously sure. you don't want to be um, too braggadocious when you're talking about yourself. But if you have been a stud don't hesitate to put these things and don't hesitate to be specific about certain scenarios that you interacted with the attending or the residents and, and you stood out. And I think that's yeah. a good starting point. This is a long discussion. I mean, this is something where in our, in our co residency coaching, this is like a multi-week process. But as yeah. far as just starting out, know what you want to exemplify, behave in a way that everyone sees it. And then at least you can put it on paper and feel good about yourself. Anything else to sort of add to that? No, I mean, you cover it all. It's just uh, make sure that when you ask the doctor, the physician for the LOR, that if they do present you with this uh, option, that, you know, you don't get upset because sometimes they just don't have enough time to write an LOR for you. That yeah. being said, they have PAs and other assistants, including the admin, to look it over and they'll add their two cents in that LOR. And then later on, they'll submit it through their portal to um, your application. So again, just follow what we talked about. Dr. Paul nailed it, you know, with everything. You know, you want to make sure that everything is accurate and real. And why not just present what you do in, in the presentation, in, in the rotations, right? That's the whole point. So yeah, you got it. Nailed it all. All right. 
Next question. How do I, how can I be unique and set myself apart from 99% of other applicants? I'll let you take this one. Well, you got to do things that are different from the rest. You, know, you see, most people, they do the bare minimum and they expect miracles or do the bare minimum and expect the things to work out for them. Now, how does that work, right? I want this. I want to get into a rotation. I want to be the best of the best. I want to have all the possible powerful applications and, and they don't do what needs to be done. See, this is not a one-person sport. You have to understand that, you know, this is a one. Sorry, this is a one-person sport. Ideally, no one's going to carry you. You got to carry yourself. Now, you come to us. We help you. We coach step one, CK, and navigate you through residency to get into the match. But you yourself have to work very hard. Wake up early. Go to the rotation. Carry yourself because if you don't do that, how would you get in? That's the whole point, right? You have to work hard yourself. And if you don't do that, it's very difficult. You have to set yourself apart from other people. That's the whole point, right? That's what it comes down to. If you don't do that, then how can you expect to be the top 1% of the applicants? It's not possible. It really yeah. isn't. And, 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 you know, everything you just outlined, yes, I think that's what you need to do to be just on par with all the other high achievers. But what can you do that will really set you apart? Because... There's going to be students who are going mm -hmm. to be there early and stay late. There's going to be students mm -hmm. who go above and beyond. There's going to be students who are always, you know, side by side with the attendings. So mm -hmm. what can you do that other people won't do? Well, how many students do you know who maybe wrote a book during med school? The adventures of, you know, uh, maybe it was just uh, like a story about, based on themselves and self-published. Or maybe mm -hmm. started a podcast when they were in med school every week talked about their journey in med school. These are things that most people don't do. I know like we're in this world where we're with content creators, podcasters, and it seems like everybody does it. But the fact of the matter is not everybody does it. So I'm not saying you have to do that, but what are the things that you could do that if you sit down in, a, in an interview and they say, you know, tell me about this podcast you have. I guarantee you 99%, 99.99% of other med students do not have a podcast. Therefore, yep. if you do, which guys, it's free to do, doesn't take much. We have students in our roadmap who did it and it mm -hmm. was something that came up in their interviews. Um, these are things you can do that are just unique. And it's not, you don't have to be Joe Rogan and have the best podcast in the, in the world. You just <laughs> have to do things that other people haven't done because then they're good conversation pieces. So imagine you sit down for your interview. You know, there's a, tell me about yourself. You're like, oh, I'm from Chicago, blah, 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 blah. Tell me about this podcast. And then you just go into it. And then all of a sudden, 35 minutes goes by. All you've done is talked about your podcast. You've built rapport. They like you. You're unique. You're interesting. They don't care about anything else because you're interesting. Guess what? Now they want to sit next to you for three, four years during residency because you're not boring. You're not dull. And you're cool. Guys, do things that are different. And you will always have something that you can talk about that other people simply won't be able to. And that is how you differentiate yourself from the 99%. And I just thought about this right now. If you have a podcast, so to speak, right? And then wouldn't it be nice if that person who interviewed you listened to your podcast after the interview, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, right? They were so impressed with what you had to offer that after the interview, they're following you, they're listening to your episodes, you bring value yep. to the community. They go, wow, this guy, this girl is really valuable. Like they can be helping us in our residency program. So, I mean, Absolutely. it's just an option, guys, but it really works. It really does.
and, and it doesn't have to be a podcast. It doesn't have to be a YouTube channel. Maybe Something. you like, maybe you like to draw and you know, you have a cartoon that's medical. Th I don't care what it is. But do something, something, if you can, that other people just aren't doing. And, and that's how you can set yourself apart on top of doing everything else exceptionally well. All right. Yeah. This one's easy. How do I nail my interviews and really get on the top of every program's list? If you can go into an interview and crush it and really just be someone who's fun and interesting and, and just likable, you'll probably get on the top of most people's lists, assuming you meet those minimum criteria. How do you do it? Well... Two words, perfect practice. You need to practice regularly with different people, but in a perfect manner. Meaning don't just, you know, do it where your friends asking you questions, sit down in an, an environment where it's professional, go through questions, have someone challenge you, then find someone completely different. Do the same thing. Get, get comfortable with people you don't know, get comfortable being uncomfortable and really put yourself through the ringer and go through as many scenarios as you can. Like when we, in our, in our residency coaching, you know, we have, uh, you know, a two week intensive interview training, but also weekly yep. follow-ups up until the end of the year. And so that's why students get this opportunity to really practice again and again, and again, and then they get mock interviews with different people, the full panel. And that really helps put them in a scenario where they're being challenged by people who maybe they look up to. And that's, can be, that can be intimidating, but that's the sort of situation you put yourself into. Practice perfectly, regularly, yeah. to the point where you can't really screw up the big questions you're going to be asked, and you don't get nervous when you're, you, know, you sit down in front of a, you know, an older gentleman who's a little intimidating, or maybe you sit down and it's a young, pretty doctor, and you're, you're, you're nervous. Like These things can't screw you up. So you want to get yeah. so good that it doesn't matter what the environment is. You're just dialed in, and that's just perfect practice. It's kind of like when you watch American Idol, those kind of shows, right? They sure. know they have a one shot to audition, and they crack under pressure. I mean, if you're the judge, we're all the judges. We're like, well, you knew this is happening. You knew yeah. you were going to get on and, into, and, and per perform in front of us. If you can't perform in front of us now, how are you going to perform in front of us down the line? So that's why you might know what to say, and you might have your mom, your dad, your friend read the question, but then how are they going to give you the feedback, right? That's mm -hmm. what happens. You have to know how you're going to say it. And if you're stumped, if you don't know what to say, you have to know how to what how to get out of it. That's the whole point, to kind of spin it. Absolutely. Practice right. perfectly. Practice perfectly. <laughs> so we have two more questions. This one's interesting. Um, uh, this is, this is, is this a tough, tough. one. Uh, uh, it's a tough so, one. It's tough. you know, this is something that comes up all the time. Every year with our students, this comes up. I went to an interview. They said, do not follow up. What do we do? Do we follow up? Do we not follow up? Um, I asked one person today what their opinion mm -hmm. was, and I know it's a little different from what you're about to say, and I have my own thoughts. So tell us what you think, and then let's discuss this, because this is a really confusing situation, oftentimes an unfair one as well. Well, typically, I mean, in the past, this is pre, pre before pandemic, right? You don't follow up. You might follow up. It depends. Write a letter, send something, drop off something in the office. And then for the past couple of years, programs are like, we don't want anything from you. Like they'll, they'll simply tell you, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we don't want a letter. We don't want a follow-up letter. Now, sometimes if you send a follow-up letter, they might not say anything afterwards, but if you get into the program, they'll say, you know what? 
I was actually shocked that many didn't send anything versus you did send something. So it's very, very challenging to say the least, because if they tell you do not send something, what do you do? Yeah, I personally would say, try to find out from people if you have the connections, like we hope you do through social media and colleagues to say, hey, by the way, you know, friend, should I send something? And if you feel that you should send something nice and sweet, like a follow up, thank you, you know, especially, yeah. yeah, short and sweet. And, and basically put some details in there to say, Dr. So-and-so, thank you for your time. It was wonderful meeting you versus something vast and long and detailed. Because if they tell you they don't want it, typically they don't want it. And they might not, they might never read it. That's the whole thing. So it's kind of challenging. It really is to, to figure out what to do. That's mm. what I would say. I, I think at the end of the day, this comes down to this. This, this is my thought on this. If you go to a program and and let's say everything goes well and they say hey yeah. don't send it don't, don't send a follow up. <laughs> if you send a very short, you know, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your time today. It was a thank pleasure to meet you. I look forward to working with you in the future. If sending something nice like that is a deal breaker for them, do you really want to be in a program like that? And if they tell you not to but want you to, do you want to be in a program who's playing games like that because in yeah. my mind, they're setting you up for really a scenario where you basically are flipping a coin with your future. Like, yeah. Let's say sure. you only had, let's say you only had one interview, and they say don't send a follow up. I would. And and now you're like, okay, I'm not going to send a follow up. Then you don't match, and you find out later that it was a test. I mean, that's really unfair. That actually really rubs me the wrong way. So I yeah. would default to, I don't think there's anything wrong with politeness and sending a nice, succinct. Um, two to three line, thank you. Also, you know, maybe be selective about who you send it to. Like if you really connected with one person in particular, maybe send it to them instead of, you know, blasting it to everybody who, who interviewed you. Um, think it through, but I tend to agree. Like if you're being polite is what's going to get you from getting in. Honestly, do you really want to be there? Cause that is no, just ridiculous you know, in my mind. You know, you know, I, back then, right, uh, we have emails, but the past two, three years, especially, a lot of students, our students, colleagues, friends, have written little letters, they actually get little cards, yeah. they put little like thank you notes. Now, when you do that, if you choose to do that, you just put little details in there specifically to your interview. And like you said before, if you really hit it off with Dr. A, B and C, maybe not D or E, <laughs> send A, B, C those, those little yeah. cards, right? You don't want to send the whole staff a card to but if this is where you want to go, where you want to be, why wouldn't you? And yeah, my sister especially told me, the program that she went to, told her they didn't want anything. She still wrote a handwritten letter, little card for each person that she interviewed with. And then she found after that uh, that they actually wanted the letter. Like they were actually happy that they received some some cards from some candidates to say thank you so much for for your opportunity to, to interview. So yeah. it's, it's a give and take. You got to really figure that out. It's yeah, hard. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the games. That's just you know the that just doesn't make sense to me. Why why say anything at all? Honestly, like because now you're just playing you know head games with students who are already stressed sure, enough. Sure. Why not just say nothing and just see who has the you know wherewithal to say you know I'm gonna send nice thank you letters to the people who interviewed me. What is it otherwise? Why why screw with people? I don't get that. I don't, that that annoys me. But anyway, it is what it is, right? Yeah. All right. One more question. <laughs> Let's dive into it. So this is actually something we talked about a lot earlier 
how to be an exceptional candidate, even if you have no idea what you're doing. So A, if you don't have any idea what you're doing, make sure you check out our residency coaching. If you're completely mm -hmm. lost and you want help and you are willing to invest in yourself in your future, go to usassemblyguys.com slash RRMP and we will help make it easy. But really at the end of the day, if you want to be the most exceptional candidate, there's a few things you need to do. If you really want to look better than everyone else, and like I said earlier, it doesn't matter what school you went to, what you want to do is this. A, know exactly what you want. I know a lot of students yeah. say, I'm in third, fourth year, I don't know what I want. You better figure it out because if you don't know what you want, you're going to be stuck in a scenario where you're not going to get anything because if you have to be focused on a goal. It's, it's like anything in life. If you don't know what you're shooting for, you're never going to get it because you, don't, you can't just say, I don't know what I want to do and then just... What do you do? You don't know. You yeah. have to have a goal. Yeah. Figure it out. Then you have a B is you have to have a plan to get there. I mentioned AAMC.org, right? Go there, find out what criterion are, are uh, the most successful students have met, write it down, and then chip away at it. Very, very simple. And then yeah. once you've written that down and you start chipping away, be disciplined enough to consistently execute so that by the time you're finished third year, maybe halfway through fourth year, you are already positioned so well that the only thing left for you to do is write a killer personal statement and apply. And if yeah. you can do that, if you can do those things, I don't care if you went to you know, uh, some random school in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean or if you went to uh, UCLA. If you look like a stud on paper and you actually achieved everything that you have on paper you're a great candidate and you'll be better than 99%. And to be quite honest, you'll be better than 99.9% .9 of the Caribbean students you're applying against. We know that 65 to 70% of Caribbean students match. You'll, you'll be, it'll be easy for you. So aim to beat everybody and you'll still come out way on top. See, many students know what they want or they think they know what they want. They're, they're in love with surgery. They're in love with OBGYN, but they don't have a plan. Yeah. And they might have, they might have some plan from some friend, but they they don't have the will to execute. See, that's what happens. So you have to really make sure that you have all those three steps in order. And yeah, man, there's a lot of naysayers out there, and don't do this. You can't do this. You can't go there. You can't become a surgeon. Well, many doctors we know, men and women, especially women from the Caribbean, become surgeons. You know, yeah. usually it was male dominant. Not anymore. Not anymore, guys. You just got to really have that will to say, you know what? You're saying no. I'll see you when I'm in residency. And there yeah. it is. That's what yeah. it comes down I've to. seen so many, um, you know, like, you know, every year when match, match, match happens, everyone posts on Instagram. I saw a lot this year, females in surgery. It's something like you said, usually you think males are going into surgery. Females are going into surgery. Um, uh, males going to OB-GYN. A lot of females go into GU. I mean, yeah. you know, whatever you like, shoot for it. And it's completely possible. You just have to know what it takes and then be willing to execute. If you got those things, you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, and think of it. Those people who say, you know, a lot of doctors that call us, right? They ask us questions about step one, step two, residency. And we ask them, what kind of specialty are you thinking about? Well, I love it all. Or I'm not sure. I have a passion for surgery. But then we find out later, they go, well, yeah, if I don't get the scores, I'll just go for family. I'm like, how does that work? Yeah. How do you go from surgery to like pediatrics? Two different specialties. I mean, unless you love both, you're going to let a score dictate your life. Now, yeah, if you're not prepared, I'm sorry to say that's what happens. If you're not yeah. ready to play the game, then a score will push you to a wrong direction. But if you know ahead in advance what you need to do, what a perfect applicant 
is required of in that particular specialty, which you can just Google, we give you all those links, search yourself, then why don't you apply yourself and be that applic the applicant that they're looking for? Scores, LORs, experience, observerships, externships, you name it. They want it, you gotta give it to them. Or Absolutely. they won't go for you, they'll go for somebody else. Absolutely. All right, I think we have a couple questions on Let's YouTube. Hit them. So right. uh, first question, Mariana, by the way, thank you guys for your questions. She asks, what about age? I'm an IMG, 14 years being a doctor in Argentina. I've been through all the troubles and sacrifices you mentioned, ready to start all over again. <clears throat> you know, I like to look at this two ways. One way you're going to have a slight disadvantage because there will be those programs who simply say, if you've been out of school for so long, we won't look at you. But you also have to look at the bright side, which is you've been a practicing physician, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've been a practicing physician. So you have the edge of experience. So maybe you are a little bit older than your, your average applicant, but you also have 14 years. So if you're 14 years a family doctor applying to family medicine, you've got a huge advantage. You've got over a decade of experience. So, you know, as long as you're not nearing the end of your career, meaning you're not, you know, programs don't want to take you and then you're going to retire in a year, that probably wouldn't work. But as long as you're, you know, ready to rock and roll, I think you're in a great position, Mariana. Just use your experience to your advantage. I don't see sure. any problems. You know, a lot of programs we know for a fact are looking for quality too. So Absolutely. if the scores are there, the YOG year of graduation used to make a difference many years ago, not anymore, because programs realize that, you know, score of a pass and a 240, 250, 260CK doesn't tell me you have experience, it tells me you're a good test taker. And they go with the scores and realize, uh-oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing versus somebody who's older who's experienced like yourself, a physician from Argentina, say, well, this, this lady, this individual is 10 years plus as a physician, that's pretty solid, right? So we would say just go for it. You know, it's very, it's not difficult, but you have to plan it out. Step one, CK and apply. Yeah, and we know from experience, we've heard a lot of horror stories of they took the top scores over the people they liked the best and they ended up being nightmares. Um, I remember a few years back, my mom called me from her hospital. They had a, I think it was an OB-GYN resident who was a stud on paper but was a nightmare. And they actually ended up kicking him out and they oh, were boy. looking for someone just to fill the spot. And she asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, no, not a chance. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but like, you know. No, thank you. <laughs> high, be a high quality person who also has, you know, good credentials and you'll win every single time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thanks for the question, Doc. All right. All right. Let's see. Anna Mansfield. Uh, if I do any residency, can I still do a fellowship in another thing like sports medicine, for example, and see these patients? I mean, it depends on residency you're going to go into. If you're yeah. going to go to family medicine, then eventually you could you can hit something like sports medicine. If you do, you know, pediatrics, OB, internal, it really is it's difficult. I mean, that's the whole point. A fellowship is based upon what you're going to do in that specialty. So you have to finish your residency. Yes, you have to do very well in step three. You have to get your medical boards, right? If it's internal medicine, your families, you have to pass your family medicine boards, get board certified, then apply for, for fellowship. And yeah, of course, um, a fellowship is what you will spend all your time on, but it has to be linked to the residency that you do. If I answer the question. Yeah, yeah, I think you answered it. Right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the easiest thing to do is just, if you want to do a sports medicine fellowship, say, what residency do I need to do in order to qualify for a sports medicine fellowship? Mm -hmm. And whatever the fellowship might be, 
just check and see that, you know, what are the, what are the qualifying uh, residency programs? You know, for example, if you want to do something like sleep medicine, you know, you could do psych, you could do anesthesia. You want to do pain medicine, you could do psych, you could do anesthesia. I think you do family as well. There's a lot of different, you know, back doors into different specialties and different uh, fellowships, but you could find this information on Google. Off the top of my head, I think family, you're correct. You know, sure, if you did, sure. like orthopedics, PM&R, you can do sports sure. medicine. But just double check on Google and, and you'll find all the answers you need. And then, Mariana, thank you. Pediatric critical care. Actually, one of our step one coaching students is a pediatric cardiologist out in Dubai. And she's there currently practicing. And then we're working with her week by week to help her pass step one. She wants to pass step one, score step two. You know, as as high as possible, but she already has some positions waiting for her in the States. She just has to do really well. And she's definitely 10 plus years in, in, in the industry of pediatric uh, cardiology. So, again, programs want quality uh, and, and, you know, and scores. Yeah, they have to fit some criteria. But if you come in and show them what, what you know and you have all this experience, it's huge. So it's definitely huge. Yeah. Reach out to us. Let us book a call. See what can help you. At least they guide you, ask you a few more questions and maybe help you along the way. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys, that is it. Doc, do you have any more questions on your end that came in today you want to answer? Or are we good? No, I think we're good with tapped out. All we'll right, save yeah. some for next week. Absolutely. Out today. All right, guys, <laughs> I hope that that was helpful. Uh, we did it a little differently with the, the question-based format, but I think that we dropped some of our best nuggets in this episode. Um, oh, yeah. This, the stuff we talk about today is, is touches on the stuff that we give our roadmap students, our residency roadmap students, and um, if you are in a position where you are th striving for, you know, something huge, make sure that you at least put in the work to make sure you're doing everything you need to be doing to set yourself up for success. The worst thing that could happen is you go to apply and you realize you don't really have anything impressive. And then, you know, you're kind of stuck at that point. So start early, work hard, execute, be disciplined, and you guys can get there. As always. That's it. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for sticking around to the end. We hope that was helpful. If it was, hit that thumbs up button below, subscribe, set up notifications. And uh, we'll be back next Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, as always. Dr. Stavros, appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you all for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that to be helpful. If you want to learn more about how you can work with us, either one-on-one, -on -one, get access to our drill sessions or our step one or step two CK coaching programs, don't forget to visit us at usmleguys.com. Thank you for sticking around. I hope that was helpful. We'll see you on the next episode.